Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and in today's episode, I interview Anthony Kudafidis. Also known as Kuda, he is the founder of Kuda Fit and a legend of the AFL game. A retired AFL footballer with the Carlton Football Club, considered by many as one of the most powerful and athletic players of all time. He played in almost every position and was often called the prototype of the modern-day footballer. During his career, he captained the side, won the leading goal kicker, premiership, and five times All-Australian, now inspiring people to live a healthy and active lifestyle. Highlights from this episode, Kuda's football journey from juniors all the way through to his whole AFL career, his physical and mental preparation for an AFL game, Kuda's biggest challenges and what he learned from them, his life motto and hobbies, what he's currently doing in the health and fitness industry, and a lot more. Before we start this episode, shout out to Lockie Gee, who has just signed up to our academy via the Patreon subscription. Welcome aboard, mate. Looking forward to having you in, and I'll catch you in our academy Discord group. Let's get into today's episode. How you going, Kuda? Very good, Jack. Thanks for having me on, mate. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks, for, mate. Thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate your time, uh, especially late at night and everything going on in the world. It's, uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. We'll, we'll dive right into it, mate. Take us back to the beginning. Young Kuda, at, at what age did you? I was eight years old, uh, Jack. Uh, I went to a local primary school, Lalo East Primary. We had over a 1,000 kids at our school. I had an older brother, Paul, who was a year older than myself, and our friends introduced us to the oval ball, and uh, we instantly fell in love with it. And uh, I think uh, they seen that we had a little bit of ability in sport, and our friends, uh, they said, why don't you come down to the local footy club and try out? And we said, all right. We didn't tell our mum and dad, and uh, we thought we'd just go for a casual kick. And uh, after, you know, a few hours in Melbourne, it got pitch dark, and my dad and mum, they were just like, roaming the street of where we live like have you seen the boys have you seen the boys and uh we appeared a little bit later and they were furious and we told them you know we we want to play this game of football and they both said no and uh yeah we had this wonderful australian family that said if you really want to play we'll pick you up from home and take the take you to the games and that's how we started it at eight years of age we fell in love with the game wow sorry i missed the start what was the connection with that family are they neighbors or oh you know that they were just uh, they had their son uh, who played in that team. And the, I don't know, I, I think they seen that we had a little bit of ability. So uh, they were an Australian family and said, if you want to play, we'll pick you up and take you to the games. And so my parents didn't come along, but halfway through the year, my father decided to start taking us to the games. My yeah. mum still refused. So my dad was Greek, mum was Italian. And then my mum thought, by the next year, I better start, you know, have a look at what this is all about. And they both fell in love with the game. Never missed not one single game that I played, even when I was playing senior footy. So it was just a, it was a, a wonderful game for us being, you know, the migrants, European, that have brought us out of our way of living and started to really understand the Australian culture. Yeah. yeah. What did um, what sport did they want you to play? Probably soccer, maybe basketball. Yeah, my mum, her, her family was all soccer background, beanie tans, you can imagine. My dad was actually born in Egypt, but of Greek background. And he played basketball there. So I don't know if they, I don't know. I guess if they had to choose, no doubt, probably would have said soccer. But I just, I never enjoyed that round ball. I don't know. Like there was a lot of uh, European kids at school that loved it. And uh, they were a lot shorter. They're probably a little bit too quick for me with their feet. And I think the the game of footy just helped me a little bit more, being a little bit taller and uh, to be able to jump and, you know, be able to mark and things like that. I just, uh, I fell in love with the game. And I think, Iconically in Australia too, when you look at two sports, when I was growing up, 70s and 80s, it was cricket or football. And to me, footballers were just iconic. You know, they were just like superhuman. They looked like, you know, beasts. And it was almost like, mate, they were scary. And it was a very physical game. So they were like warriors. And so I guess if I wanted to be, you know, play any sport, I wasn't going to be soccer here in Australia. I want to be a footballer more so than a soccer player. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a great story. I haven't heard that one before. Those, you, have you stayed in touch with that family? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name's Shane Watts, and uh, he's living in Perth now, but uh, very close with my brother and I. 
uh, yeah, wonderful family. I always remind everyone, you know, he was the one that uh, his family were the ones that took it to the game and brought us home and uh, I catch up with him. What age did you discover yourself that you're like, this is something that I can, I can pursue and, and it can be a career? Well, the first year I didn't know, like, I think I started back pocket and they said, you've got to go stand back pocket. I don't think I moved from that spot. But then he started to learn the game. And then by the time I was nine, I started to dominate games. So even in primary school, uh, in grade four, my brother was in grade five and the teachers were like saying to my brother, can you ask your brother to play in the school footy team? And that was against grade sixes also. And I'm like, no, I'm not playing. Like, they were older than me, you know, you were too older. And they're like, the teacher kept, you know, like, tell your brother, please, please. So eventually I gave in. I started playing a full four and I was kicking all these goals, you know, in grade four against grade fives and sixes. We got to the grand final, we lost by a point. And then uh, the next year in grade five, same thing. We got to the grand final again, lost by a point. And then by grade six, I was Lalo East uh, captain. And uh, not only did we win our zone, we went on to be the best metropolitan team. And then we came up against the best country team. But they were like, mate, they were farmers. You know what I mean? They were men. Like, we're the <laughs> slickers, mate. We're, we're soft. And these guys were like, mate, we're looking at them going, hey, where did these guys come from? And I was captain. I'm like, boys, what are we doing here? So it wasn't a good thing. As a captain and leader, I didn't give the boys much confidence when we started and uh, we lost that game and that was Play Park. So I guess from an early age, I uh, showed quite a bit of ability uh, in football and in sport in general. And you mentioned full forward. Is that where you spent most of your juniors? That was your main position? No, I was a ruckman. Uh, it was only on primary school, maybe grade four, they needed me at full forward and uh, I played there. I can't remember grade five, but by grade six, I was in the ruck because I was already like, Grade five, I was a state high jump champion. And so, you know, I could run and jump. And uh, that's what I did. I played my entire career in the ruck and then occasionally maybe sent out forward. Uh, but really, I just rucked the whole way through. Even when I played Till Cup under 17s, I started as a ruckman as, at a metre 90 against guys that were two metres tall. But eventually, Dennis Pagan, who was our coach, put me a centre back and I was able to like play really good there, make the All-Australian team. So pretty much rucked the entire way through my yeah, through my career and although I wasn't maybe the tallest guy out there in, in terms of jumping, I don't think I, I really lost uh, yeah, many tap outs really. You mentioned the yeah, state champion high jump. Um, take us through for the developing footballers listening that are around that high school age that want to get, yeah. um, did, did athletics help you, do you think? Did that help your football? 100% it did. Well, you know, I started athletics, my, my brother started first in the summertime of that that first year we played footy and then I watched him for half a season compete before I had the courage to get out and start competing. And by the time I was in grade five, I was state high jump champion. With, uh, I don't know, like I trained, but not, not too much training. And then it wasn't until I was 14, I actually got some proper uh, coaching from the national coaches. There was an athletics clinic at, at the old Olympic Park where Collingwood Football Stadium is now where they train. And uh, they spotted me out and said, we, we want to train you. And I said, all right, I'll come along. So I started going from ladle on the train after school to Olympic Park to train there. I became Australian champion high jumper. And, uh, yeah. And then because uh, I was a multi-event, like decathlete as well, I started learning all these other events. And then hurdles just started to just, get, just go kaboom as well. Where I became a Australian champion hurdler under 17s with an Australian record. So... I got beaten in the high jump by Tim Forsyth, who uh, still, I think, currently holds the uh, national record uh, with uh, Starks. And uh, they were the two last Commonwealth Games gold medalists. But Tim Forsyth, was, uh, he still holds a second, not the world junior record, not number one, but second in, in the high jump at 229. So I lost my title to him. I jumped 208, he jumped 216. He was too good by the time I was 16. I was 16 years of age and he was probably six months younger than me. But... When he came down to Olympic Park, you could see that this kid was built for high jump. I started, my shoulders started to get a little bit bigger and because uh, I was playing footy in the winter, it probably didn't help. And, uh, you know, running a few more kilometres and not just doing the power athletics training. But athletics as a general sport, I think it's it's almost like a must. You know, I always tell my kids to do athletics. And that, it's just the time factor because it is a long day. I mean, I used to do six yeah. or seven events when I competed at uh, the senior athletics when I was in, you know, 13, 14, 15, and 16. So I just did a mole like a heap of events. And so that kept me busy constantly, uh, you know, uh, doing events, whereas other clubs might have had one or two athletes per event. We, as Kelm Park, well, we had Gary Honey. You know Gary Honey? Do you remember Gary Honey, Jack? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Here's yeah. a bit of history for you. 1984 Los Angeles Olympic Games. Gary Honey oh, yeah. came, yeah. won a silver medal behind one of the greatest athletes of all time, Carl Lewis. 
he jumped something like eight metres, 30 or 40, I don't know. We call, yeah. He was second behind Carl Lewis in 1984. So his nephew, Josh Honey, plays for Carlton now. Josh's father yes, never won a bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games uh, pole vault. So an incredible Olympic family. And I played under-19s with their younger brother, Paul Honey, who's another great guy as well. They're just phenomenal athletes. So Gary Honey came from the same club as um, myself, so I followed his footsteps afterwards. It's folded now, but um, we had only a few athletes, but we like won state, cha- state championships just with like eight or nine athletes, whereas someone like Doncaster would have 22 athletes, you know, for the thing. So we just, it was a great time in athletics. It, it, it helped my footy. It, it, it helped it immensely in terms of power and speed and jumping ability. Before yep. the game was like an athletic game, like what it is now, because there was a lot of endurance running 5100s, which was terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me, because when I got there, I, I was just I looked different to the other the other footballers there because of some of the things that I could do. And I guess like not just doing the training, but also being in, in that environment with the honey, that pedigreeing, that that athleticism. How important is it to? It sounds like from a young age, you're always competing against people that are older than you. How how important is it to see performance and see success? Yeah, I never competed with Gary Honey. He was a bit before my time, but uh, I you know, went to the same club and competed with him. But we had phenomenal athletes, Jack. Like I grew up in Laidlaw Thomastown. It was the northern part of uh, Melbourne. There was a lot of migrant families, you know, Australian families. We we grew up together. We rode bikes. We were out in the parks. We were playing games. It was nonstop. We didn't have video games like kids, unfortunately, now. And it's not easy for the kids to go out like we did. We had freedom back then. And um, it was an unbelievable time to be alive in Australia. But we just had phenomenal athletes around my area. And, uh, you know, as another guy, Jerry Martinov, who was like state, uh, state 100, 200-metre champion, and he was in the same primary school as me. We both were state champions, champions in grade five. We went on both to play Carlton under-19s. Uh, he became, I think he won a silver medal in the 100 or 200 or long jump, like national. So he was another phenomenal athlete. And then well, I'm talking about how many players that we had playing at the Carlton under-19s in our area too that we were able to drive in together. Just And I, I often say how lucky we were that we were surrounded by just great athletes. And, uh, you know, as much as it was like peer group pressure, you know, to maybe do the wrong things, like we were just laser focused on sport, sport, sport. And so my circle of influence and friends were, that I grew up with were just sport mad, which I love because, you know, there's a lot of other kids that did things that, uh, you know, I didn't want to do. And uh, if you end up in the wrong crowd, you could easily get persuaded to do those sort of things. And I was lucky enough that I, where I grew up, we had phenomenal athletes. And um, you mentioned the, the training that you were doing. What would be a typical week, 16 years old? Like, are you, are you training every day? How often yeah. do you compete? Jack, I was a bit lazy, you know, honestly. I think I was a bit more of a natural athlete than more one that was like, I've just got to train and train harder. I just, I think things may have come a little bit too easy for me. But in, in saying that, if I was coached and told what to do, I would just do it. So I was very coachable. So I used to go to the park twice a week. So, you know, go to school, be there all day, uh, catch a train all the way to Jollymont, walk across Jollymont to, to Olympic Park, train for you know, an hour and a half, two hours, get back on the train starving, hungry because I hadn't eaten all day and uh, get home at Thomastown train station and either walk home or dad pick me up or get the bus home or whatever. And uh, they were long days. And I'm not going to say I look forward to them, but, geez, they were just memorable days. And there were some phenomenal athletes back then as well. Kyle Vanderkop that trained there. who may He may still have the Australian 110-metre hurdles title. I think he's an Indigenous athlete. It was just phenomenal. And there was a lot of other great. Jai Tarima, who won a silver medal at the uh, Olympic Games in uh, Sydney. I competed against him too in the hurdles and decathlon. And so, yeah, I had some yeah, really incredible athletes in my time and uh, who, who did really well. And at that time, were you doing athletics to for a dream to be an AFL footballer? Were you doing it because we loved it and you did your mates at athletics club? What was your mindset at that time? I loved it, Jack. I loved athletics. Uh, did I love it more than footy? Maybe in some ways because athletics was like, man, you stand there and we end there. If you win, you're the winner. Or high jump, if you jump higher than me, or if you throw that further than me, you're the winner. Football was a bit like, you know what I mean? You get judged by recruiters or coaches or I think he was the best on ground when you think, well, how could he be when I You know what I mean? It's a lot of that. Yeah, but team sport is the best too in saying that too because athletics can be lonely. So there's the good and bad in both. But my dream was either to represent Australia at the uh, uh, Olympics, you know, as an athlete or play AFL footy. And uh, I know I got invited to the AIS uh, 
I got invited to a uh, college in America for a scholarship for athletics. Uh, I didn't even realize it was a Division I uh, college until recently when my mum uh, showed me the letter and because uh, I had no thoughts of moving from home because having a European mum, she did everything for me and I was not going to go and start to do all that stuff for myself as yet back then. And so, um, yeah, so I had uh, a few offers from everything, but at the age of 17, the Kona Football Club called me up and offered me a three-year contract and it was a, was it a tough decision? I think as I walked in there, I think my heart knew that I was going to just sign the contract and uh, I was going to become a full-time footballer from that point onwards. Yeah, okay. So it, 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 because of the three-year contract, no-brainer, but it, what, what if um, if that contract didn't come at 17? Could you see yourself potentially pursuing, the, still continuing the athletics for a bit longer? Or oh, I would have, no doubt. I loved it that much. And uh, I loved the decathlon because I was, you know, okay, quite a few events, not all of them. And, uh, yeah, but I would have pursued, no doubt, the hurdles because the hurdles, I took up it a little bit more serious just a couple of years before I got the Australian record. Before that, I was just a casual hurdler. My brother became, my brother Paul became state 110 hurdles champion. And so he was the older than me, 13 months, mate. If he was there, I'm, I'm going to compete against you, you know, and that's, I started to compete against him. And slowly he could see that I was starting to beat him. And uh, that's when I started to become, yeah, that little bit, you know, you know, started winning state titles and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, my times improved dramatically. And uh, they, uh, my friends never forget there was one time I knocked the hurdle and fell down in an important uh, race. And I got back up and somehow my brother was screaming, come on, come on. Somehow I just got over the line and won. And still to this day, they just sit there and they just go, how would you do it? I've got no idea. But when I was chasing them, I was just, chasing without a thought so i don't know it was a great time it's been just sport back then i have so many wonderful memories about it and, and you mentioned that kind of the athletic side came naturally early and your brother obviously had a bit of talent with it and competitiveness as well and, and you guys pushed each other did your parents with sport and, and yeah. sport? my dad used to tell me he was a good basketball and so did his friends i don't know i never seen that he never really uh did any sort, sort of training and there was this skinny man with a big gut and uh I guess back yeah. then they were all a little bit like that. They just ate, they didn't train, had, had cigarettes and did all that stuff. Um, my mum, she never played sport. And, uh, but she, she would tell me that her brothers were really good at soccer, in particular one, Jordano, his name was, who, you know, I met them all. And uh, I don't know, they tell me that they were good. So I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, yeah, but, yeah, so somehow, you know, they produced a couple of kids that had decent athleticism. Yep, and you've mentioned your family, your parents, your brother, and, and also Shane Watts as strong influences. Are there other people that um, spring to mind that have just strong early days to develop yourself? I think, all, you know, a lot of my mates and I mentioned Jerry Martin. I before had another friend, Peter Lambeth, Viv Romito. I'm going to miss a few here. And uh, I don't know, they, they were probably the ones that were like my uh, closest friends, and I can't think of others. And I. But, yeah, they, they were the ones, really. I mean, we hung around together and we trained and we always did things together and, you know, carpooled together to events and, uh, you know, played footy together at the same footy clubs. And they were really good mates. And uh, they were the reason, you know, we went, you know, I went as far as I did. You know, whether it was cricket or tennis or whatever, we played basketball, we just went hard. And then I had, of course, my best mate, Sash, and I, how could I forget Sash? He came later on in my life. He remembered me in grade four. He was from a different primary school and he was in the team too. But he remembered me as a poor lanky kid. I think he said I was a bit arrogant because he went and shake my hand after the game and I just gave him nothing, you know. But uh, he became my best mate. And, uh, yeah, you know, when I was playing AFL footy, he was one of my greatest supporters as well and he was fitter than me. So even though I was playing AFL footy, he could run like crazy. So, you know, often uh, off-season or in between that Christmas period, we'd go for runs and he'd just push me in. He was always by my side. So he was another great influence for me. Yeah. And, and you mentioned your body as a professional body at a different level than the, than your peak because of that athletic training and the power. Um, how did you go? Were you able to maintain that power? <laughs> it went very quickly. Um, I went back one weekend. I thought, I'm not going to train Saturday morning. That's the flog us for three hours. I said, no, I'm just going to go back to athletics for a day. My high jump went from two metres eight to about a metre 80. Like it was, it was too hard. Like we ran on the roads eight or nine kilometers. We did fifty-one hundreds. It was my first year there, and then because I was an athlete, they put me in the first group. Well, maybe I could run hundred meters, but two hundred meters, I started to get a bit tired. And for four hundred, eight hundred, I didn't have good endurance. I was more of a power athlete. Do fifty-one hundreds in the fastest group, 
in my first year, mate, I blew up. My knees started getting knee tendonitis. I lost a lot of my jumping uh, ability and athleticism because of the uh, the training it was back then. It was really hard. It was too hard. I think if I came into the system now the way that it was where they manage the, the players better and don't run crazy like that and manage the bodies, I probably would have been a lot better off. But in saying that, you know, it's still – I walked in at a great time and learnt a lot and it made me the person that I am now. So I don't have any regrets. But in terms of athleticism, 100%. My, my body and the knee tendonitis, it got to me. We didn't have the best physios or doctors back then. They came maybe 93, 94. That was so much better and a lot smarter. And then the science started to come a bit more into the game as well where they started to look after the first-year draft picks, which you need to do. because if And they were probably more prepared than me because I never really had a – a pre-season in footy. I never really got any specialised training. I just, you know, I played Cohen under-19s, don't get me wrong. It was great. Mm-hmm. And then I played till Cup. But this system that they've got now, they just, you know, train them so they're a bit more maybe ready, maybe ready for AFL more so than what we were. And what about the weights training side of things? With the athletics, did you do much work in the gym or did that just start when you were professional? Yes, I didn't do any in the gym. It was all plyometrics, uh, all body weight stuff that we did back then. And that was yep. so good, such good training. Um, you have to have a strong body to be able to do that. And maybe maybe I was a little bit young and maybe not quite prepared for it. Maybe I had longer-term uh, issues because of it. I'm not sure, but that was great training. I loved the standing long jumps, standing triple jumps, you know, the, the steps and the, all that stuff, the hops that we did. That made me very, uh, yeah, that made me very powerful. And so um, that there was the sort of training that I think is great for young kids, you know, the plyometric sort of training. That, that's the way to go. And uh, yeah, it, the athleticism came because of that. What was the, what was the question? I just I forgot. Oh, it was... Uh, just in, in terms of your yeah, athleticism, you had that power and that speed and was was a strength. Oh, you said the weight. Yeah, yeah, the weight. Like yeah. you, you did more power-based stuff, not all body weight. Up yeah. Until that point. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I started the football, uh, that's when the weight started. And uh, I'll be honest, I cheated a little bit in the weight room because I was like, nah, don't worry about weights, you don't need them. And that was 91 because uh, I got there in 1990 for the 91 season, but I didn't play a game. And then at the end of that year, I just thought, you know what, if I'm going to play senior footy, I have to get a bit stronger. I started hitting yeah. the weights properly. I put, about, I put on, I don't know, like it was so quick that I went from, I think, 83 kilos to 91, maybe within a six-week period. I just started, I fell in love with weights. And I was like, man, you can get a bit, you can look good for the beach too, and it helps your footy. And so I started to fall in love with the weights training, and I put on size like that but what I didn't realize uh you know it was when we ran the 10 we ran the 10 my times in that first pre-season I ran 14.43 I think it was then after putting on eight or nine kilos I actually ran 17.22 17.22 like as a AFO athlete and I remember parking David Parkin coming up to me and saying Akuda with that sort of time you're not going to play senior footy and I said mate I'm, I don't know well, I don't know if I'm feeling a bit sick or how can I go from 14.43 to 17.22? He said, you've got to do it again. I said, yeah, okay, no worries. And I ran 16.40 or something. Like, I just, I couldn't run, but I didn't realise because, and I never got taught and no one taught me, is that because all of a sudden I put on eight or nine kilos, my uh, endurance running, and I wasn't great before, <laughs> went, so my advice is to any kids that are, you know, watching out there, if you're going to put on size through the gym, make sure you're still running throughout it so the body adapts. Yeah, because I tend to have done it like pretty much in an off-season period and we didn't have a lot of time off-season, but I don't know. It just it came on very quick as I started to do the weight. So it really affected my endurance running. But my game went to another level in 1992 because of my strength. So the club started yeah. playing me a fullback and I started pretty much beating all my opponents. So I was able to win the best and first in the reserves in 1992. And uh, I played only six senior games, but... That size just, you know, started to, and the boys even recognised it too. They're like, man, how'd you put on so much size? And uh, it was just by doing weights. Yeah, I think there's a couple of good messages there um, from an athlete development point of view. The fact that you didn't start weights, but you did a lot of high-intensity, speed-based body weight stuff and built your power is also good for young footballers to listen to. If you want to get faster, you've got to train fast. 100%. Um, I agree with you. And so I always say to people too, just be wary of weights. But young kids want to get there and start doing heavy weights because they look at people. I didn't really touch weights properly until I was almost 19. And so, you know, you can do all that body weight stuff. You've got plyometrics. You can even do, okay, maybe lighter weights or whatever you need to do with, you know, power and all that. 
yes, you know, isolated movements and that to look good if you want to look on the, good on the beach. No problem. I enjoy that too. We need a little bit of that. Don't get me wrong. But it's not really sport specific. Yeah, and then, and then the next thing you touched on, that, you know, gradually building, which is hard when you're young, look good on the beach and impress the girls. But, uh, and you do start to get results pretty quickly, so you, you get attracted to it. But um, gradually letting your body grow into the sport because, like you mentioned, you're running so much and it's so, and the body contacts and all the rest of the other loads that's going on with the body. So taking your time with it and for also for your endurance sake as well. So that, that's the tough part of the game, isn't it? It's not well, one specific thing. It's, it's Yeah, it's you've got to be smart. So someone watched your intro then, Jack, and fantastic the way that you train. Like, so obviously you're smarter in, in knowing exactly what, you know, they need to do. They don't have to do bodybuilding weights. So I did a little bit of that. You know, I started looking at these bodybuilding magazines going, this is how you get stronger. We didn't have the internet back then. I'm looking at Arnold going, mate, just look at the size of him or some other physiques. And I'm like, man, I'd love to have a body like that. What are they doing? You know, I'm, you know, we're doing these heavy weights that now my shoulders are stuffed. My hip's not that good. Probably not the hip because of the weight, maybe footy, but my shoulders definitely made because of the weight. And so they just got to be really careful. And so if you put on too much size too, Eventually, in the longer term, it's not good when you're carrying so much weight, in particular football, when you're running kilometres. So you really, if I turn back the time and I walked into the game now, I would definitely keep the position way. I enter a little bit of size, but more like an athlete, definitely more so than, you know, the bulk that I carried back when I played footy. In saying that, though, at the age of 26, 27, at the peak of my powers, I was playing at maybe 98 kilos, maybe 99, 97 mainly 98 kilos, but I was still able to run and do all that. But as I got older, I had to like just come down a little bit. Although my weight didn't change, the size of me just started to decrease a bit too because as you get older, it's harder to carry all that weight. And you were a part of success early in your career. What was it like being part of a premiership team? It was the greatest year of my life in 1995. We only lost two games for the entire season. It was an AFL record until Essendon beat it in year 2000. 22 years of age, and uh, we got to the finals after being very unlucky, 94, losing in straight sets. We had some ageing superstars in our team that uh, everyone knew their time was limited. Everything came to, together that year. We, we lost to the two bottom teams. I don't even know how, but we got to the uh, – we almost lost the Brisbane Bears back then in the first final. Uh, we only won by 14 points or something, but the prelim final, we smashed North Melbourne, who were a great team under Dennis Pagan. And then come grand final, I don't know how, but Geelong were favourites to win, but – I was standing there on the MCG in the middle of the MCG in front of 90,000 people in the halfway through the last quarter. And I'm looking around, we're 80 odd points in front of that stage. And I'm like, I'm about to be a premiership player here. So that was the most incredible day of my life as a young kid watching AFL grand finals. I wanted to play AFL, don't get me wrong, but grand for like premierships didn't even come to my mind. It was almost like they were surreal. You know, how lucky are these guys? Well, I was there to, yeah. And 93. When Carlton played against Essendon, I was emergency, so I didn't get a game, and I was absolutely shattered watching Ange, Chris, do my good mate out there. I mean, obviously wishing him all the best, but I just wanted to be out there playing in the grand final. Came two years later, and luckily we won that one. Yeah, eighty points. There wouldn't be many players that um, would be able to have appreciate that and soak it up like you did do that. Yeah, look around the ground. Yeah, half time we were ahead by a heap, and then we had that big melee when Billy Brownless tackled Ange after the sign, and then uh, I jumped in, and it was everyone just jumped in, and uh, yeah, but like we, I still never felt safe because in '93 I was watching the prelim Adelaide and Essendon, Adelaide were destroying Essendon, and then Essendon came out in the second half and just did it, and they won. So that was like ringing through my head. In the mind. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, by three quarter time you sort of knew, you know, what I mean, like we're well, that far ahead. And we only won by, I mean, at the end we won by 61 points because Geelong kicked a few goals at the end, but we could have easily won by 100 points that game. And uh, But it wasn't about how much you win by, it was about winning that premiership and that's what we did. And it was everything the dream of winning a premiership? Better. It was better yeah. because I went through some really difficult times in 91 not getting a game, 92 six games, 93 eight games. I got dropped halfway through 94 and I thought really it was the end of my career. I almost tapped out, as I'd say, you know, in UF, uh, uh, UFC, you know, you tap out. I almost yep. did. I'm forever grateful when I look back at my career and I always, I say amongst all the highlights, I'm just so happy that I persisted and, and kept going through very dark times. And uh, like what I said before, I had great family support and my best mate, Sash, as well. Um, so it, it was difficult. And so I went through a lot, emotional roller coaster. But, you know, I don't think Parkin really understood how to play me. and. Uh, 
didn't un- probably understand what sort of player he had also. I, I think other coaches have to see things in me and just say, hey, Parker, but, you know, he can do this and that and whatever. I love Parker, don't get me wrong. But I could have easily missed out on an AFL career just because, you know, maybe a coach couldn't see the talent that I had. So I was just in time. So 95 was so bittersweet for me after everything that I went through. Uh, unsure that if I was ever going to be at the football club to eventually cementing my position in the second half of 94 and then winning that grand final premiership. Wow. What a, for everyone listening now, just like you said, persistence and how important it is to uh, you know fight through the challenging times, um, but also support and how important it is to have good mates, good environment around you. Um, so, th- yeah, thanks for sharing, mate. That's, uh, you mentioned the challenging times, like broadly, if you don't mind going into more detail, what, you know, for, for players that maybe are in and out of a side or they want to get into a NAB league or they're having a few setbacks, what were some things that you did to, to keep yourself in check and, and keep yourself getting better? It was hard, man. I think it was a couple of times. I think there was one game my parents just left when they just said, mate, he's not even trying. I just mentally was exhausted because I tried everything and I was still playing reserves footy. I felt like I was better than other players and I didn't feel like I was getting treated fairly. So don't get me wrong. I guess I persisted because I had a contract and I had to keep turning up. But there were some really dark times during then. And uh, many times I went home and cried and like, what else do I need to do? I remember there was one reserve game I started at centre-half back. And I think I had 14 possessions or something. But then they put me in the midfield and by the end I had 42. So I got 28 possessions in the second half. I never really played in the midfield. And, uh, you know, I still didn't get picked. So I was just like, what do I have to do? You know, what do I need to do to make it in this team? And then, I don't know, I went to see sports psychologist Anthony Stewart. He taught me these words, I can, I will, you just watch me. And he, used to, he made me highlight them in my diary. Those words uh, changed my life forever. And so I've got to thank Anthony Stewart because I haven't really probably mentioned him on here, but that's when David Pargan said, all right, we'll play you on the wing. This was 1994. I had about 26 touch. I had 22 kicks, four handballs that game there. And then every week I was in the best plays, except for probably the, the last final that we played when we got bombed out by Geelong, where I started really well in the first half and then I just faded away. But I was in the best plays every week after that. So that was my time. That was my moment. But before that, it, I thought it was the end of my career. Jack, I always tell people this too, is that if you had have asked me 91, 92, 93 or 94, and even 95 and said you're going to make the AFL Hall of Fame with a start that I had, I would have said, you are kidding me. I would have just be happy to play a few games and that's it. So, you know, you keep persisting. And at the end of it, luckily I did because everything I get now is all because I persisted during that time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so good to, to hear that because now you're known as, you know, this legend and, and well-decorated and you've done it all. But to hear that that's four years there of your life, it's not like it's a month of challenging time. It's, four, it's a very long time for, for a young person to go through. But but it shaped you, like you said, to to what you've done and, and it allows you to be really, it almost sounds like it made it even sweeter, the grand final, because tough times. Exactly yeah, and, right? yeah I, I agree. It made me the person I was. Maybe if I got it too easy, I wouldn't have pushed as hard. I wouldn't have been mentally prepared, but it hardened me up. It hardened me up and so I just continue on. And, you know, I take those things in, in uh, my life after football retired too in, the, in my business world to just keep persisting, keep believing, keep going. And then, uh, you know, eventually you can break through. You just don't know when. It's one moment, one comment that you hear or just something in you that just impacts you and then you never look back. Yeah, you get a break. Um, and you mentioned Anthony Stewart. Yep. What, what, what did um, sports psychologists, what was sort of, as an AFL player, it's quite common now to clubs have a sports Back then, was that ahead of its time or was that common practice for, for a game? I dare say ahead of its time. David Park and the club said, you know, do you want to go and see a sports psychologist? said, yeah, anything to make me play, you know, whatever it takes. So I went to see him. He was just fantastic. I never used a diary before then. He said, Kuda, get your diary. You're going to buy a diary and you're going to start doing daily activities because, you know, I was sitting around at home, lazing around. The, the, the day would just go by and not achieve much. So I started and he said, you've got to start ringing people. If they're calling you, you've got to ring people back. So I was like ringing in there, go for a swim, do my run. You know, whatever it was, I just panned down. He goes, at the end of the day, you're going to tick, tick, tick. You're going to write at the top and highlight it. I can, I will. You just watch me. And I highlighted it. I used to close my diary in case my parents seen it and they might have thought I was going a bit loopy because in 1994, stuff like that was probably a bit like, oh, is this guy all right? And yep. uh, so I did that and I started using my diary. And then, of course, he said, Every time you go to training, you've got to pick one thing. If it's marking tonight, you're going to go there with the intentions of mark, 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 vice-like grip, 
You're not going to miss a mark and your whole training is going to be focused on that. I was like, okay. So I went there, used to get to training early and I was like, okay, marking, kick the ball in, mark, 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 you know, get out there, kick and kick, 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 you know, handball, whatever it was, run fast, like run to the cone, sprint to the cone, sprint to the cone. And those little things just poop, 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 started and then that was it after that thing started to really unfold. You mentioned earlier, you, you know, you wouldn't rate yourself as high work rate, but you were very coachable at starting to come through because you could easily see back then, like you said, it almost would be embarrassing to have a journal and everything that someone that you trusted asked. Like, it sounds like you're very trusting as well. Um, did you initially fight it or did you just buy into it straight away because you just pour yourself into it? I was in, yeah. As soon as I did, man, I just trusted Anthony Stewart as well. And I said, yep, okay. And I went to you know, focus on a game with three things, maybe hard running, you know, whatever, good start, you know, be physical, vice-like grip. That means every, every mark I was going for was like, boom, you know, vice-like grip. And so I was in. I've always uh, believed that I've been coachable. Uh, but I always felt like I, I always needed a coach that maybe like, you know, like could see the, the potential in me, maybe just put the arm around me and say, I believe in you. And uh, that's what Wayne Britton and Barry Mitchell did when they came to the club and they propelled my game to even another level because of the belief that they had in me. And uh, Brits and Mitchell would always say, mate, did, like, you know, to Parker, what, do you know what you've got here? You know, and uh, so they started training me a little bit, you know, a bit more and taking me under their wing and then that was it. And my game started to really propel. Fantastic. We just have a quick break, break guys. If anyone's thinking about uh, joining the Prepare Like Pro Academy, I definitely recommend it. Ever since I've joined it a few months ago, I feel so much more motivated, more fitter, more stronger, more supportive as well. Some of the things he gets you, get you doing is great for building up your capacity, muscle mass, injury prevention, everything you could need that you wouldn't even think of if you were making up your own plan. So Jackie's a nice fellow, he knows knows what he's doing, just flick him a message, he'll get you set up, no worries. Might even get you on to a few giveaways, a few free trials. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. And welcome back, guys, to Prepare Like a Pro Live Chat. I'm just Lucas on now. He's our newest member. There we are. Hey, mate, how, how are you? How you going, Lucas? Good, mate. How are you? Going can well. Uh, and spot, there you go. Yep, we can. Take it away, mate. I've just got the one. Um... I'm pretty shocking for nerves before a game. So is there anything that you do to sort of sort of get the nerves out of the way for a big game? Good on you, Lucas, mate. Thank you for that question. Good to see you there. Um, I don't know, man. Like my brother always said it too when it comes to big occasion. I was always there and producing my best. Even as a junior athlete, every time I went to big champs or national champs, I always somehow produced my personal best at those times. I think I thrived on the big occasion. In terms of nervous, probably the most nervous I ever was was the grand final, AFL grand final, where I felt like almost like I just had no energy walking into that ground at MCG. Luckily, I had a good mate, Ange Christou, who was a larrikin. He, he was a complete opposite of me. He, he had to be like free. And so he didn't want to overthink about the game. I had to be there. I had to visualize the game. I had to make sure that this mind was spot on. And then uh, I remember just having a bit of a kick and a bit of a laugh with him. And as soon as I started to laugh, or whatever, I just relaxed that little bit more. And that nervous energy, uh, Lucas, can really zap zap your energy, you know. So if you think yeah. too much, yeah. you know, it's such a it's a it's a fine line that you have to get the right balance about, okay? And so yeah. if you can yeah. do that, you'll start to perform well. If you feel like you're over nervous, man, just smile and be happy. The best games that I played, I think, when I woke up in the morning with a big smile, just it's great to be alive. Let's go, you know what I mean? And that's probably the best way to take it. So don't ever put pressure. Whatever the outcome yeah. is, it is. And if you put too much pressure on yourself. You usually, the, the game's really hard. But if you go there and say, mate, I'm just going to tackle, I'm going to chase, I'm going to hit him hard, and you do all those little things, the rest of it unfolds. And if it's not your day, it's not your day. You know, it's pretty yeah. simple. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, that's all, that's all I could think of. Covered everything else. Awesome, yeah, Lucas. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on, mate. That's uh, East Coda. You could be coaching something you're interested in. Something, oh, look, I've always wanted to... Um, Back when I first retired, I wanted to get in back into the AFL, but everything was, the doors were locked and whatever. I coached the world team once and uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, they went from never ever winning a game and we won the championship. And uh, then the next year they made it even harder. They, that's, they, they did a, pulled a few things and I don't know. Then, then the next year we, we couldn't win because the team that they gave me was just too hard. So that was good fun. I love that. So anyway, my young boy plays footy. Maybe one day I'll help coach him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just to, to go off the cuff, I like to answer it. 
you know, that in depth is a skill in itself. So especially when you've got the, the experience and the empathy and what you've done, um, yeah, it could be an exciting thing for your son. How old's your son? He's uh, 11. He just turned 11 uh, last last month, August, July, yeah, last month. Cool. Well, we've got Kane Irvin. Um, he's written, what's most important skill as a midfielder? I think nowadays, obviously, you run, I mean, the running, you've got to be able to run. The, the, the fitness part, and people don't even realise, so even my son that plays basketball, I'm like, man, you still, you've got to have, you've got to have fitness, you know. The fitness is the key. But when I trained, when I trained harder, the game was easier. So I made training harder than what the game was. So coming to the game and the game was easier. And I could be equally as strong as a, as a player and I could be equally as, you know, fast or whatever. But if you're not as fit as them, they'll be stronger than you and they'll outrun you and obviously, you know, defeat you. Your fitness is the key to everything, no matter how strong. Well, you'll see big bulky guys come out and play footy, but if you can outrun them because they're not as fit, all of a sudden their strength becomes their weakness because once they're tired, mate, you can push them over and they're done and dusted. So you, you, fitness is the, the, the key to everything, in my opinion. And if you're not fit enough, you can't kick the ball well, you can't you know, chase that well, you've got to be match fit. Yeah, you, you yeah. Couldn't have got We've got a pre-game routine. Kane's written. My pre-game routine. Oh my god, man! I, I retired 14 years ago. Like, uh, oh, I can't. My <laughs> pre-game routine. I think I used to just sleep in a bit. I always visualised what I had to do. I didn't really eat too much food. Um, you know, I always had that ball in my hand, and and that ball even the night before, man. I, the night before, in all honesty, I used to sit in my room for a good 20, 30 minutes and just visualise what I had to do. Listen to music. Pretended I was playing the game and I had the ball in my hands just in the dark and just throwing it up and just got used to it like that. So that was sort of my preparation towards the game. I never really went out the night before, in all honesty. You are uh, younger career, like younger days. So most important quality for a captain in AFL captain leadership, what do you think of the qualities? Lead by example, number one, you know, work hard, train hard, be a support, you know, put belief into the team. They're all the things, you know. Some some guys don't realise how good they can be. Um, you know, in times of struggle, man, you got you got to stand tall and be brave. That's uh, leadership qualities, and even you know, off the field too. You know, so on and off the field, you got you got to be good. You got to be good. Last two, was there a coach or role model you looked up? Uh, I was a Collingwood supporter. A lot of the Collingwood players I looked up to, and uh, I don't know if there was one particular one I wanted to re- really base my game around. I don't think I ever thought that sort of way. I loved a lot of the players uh, in terms of coach too before I started playing. No, not really. Not really. And what about this one from Ethan Paul? Best player you've played with? There was a guy. He came from Bendigo and uh, tried out uh, in the under-19s at Carlton. They said it was too slow, so he went back to Bendigo and won a competition best and fairest. And then he got invited, or he either might might have been called the Geelong coach back then and uh, asked if he can go and train. And uh, that first year there, I think he may have been one of the best and first. I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, he wanted a little bit more money. They said no. Sydney offered him big money. Went there, won a Brownlow medal in Sydney. Then Carlton decided to eventually get him back to Carlton. He won a Brownlow medal at Carlton too, and that was Greg Williams. He was the best player I played with. He was phenomenal in terms of athlete. He was a complete opposite. wasn't quick. Didn't have the best endurance. was okay. He had this year, he had the heart. And there, somehow those two there, he was just an unbelievable player, tough and hard and could find the ball. His first game in Geelong, when he went there, I think uh, his opposition player for the day, I think his dad said, look, you, you make sure you know what this player is all about. And he had no idea. Well, he knew about him at the end of the game because Greg Williams had something like 35 or 38 possessions. So that was his first game of AFL footy. Just crazy to think of how much, yeah, possessions and ball. He was just hard at it, Diesel. And then kind of spears, followers, did you have many injuries while you were young? Well, when I was young, maybe not so many. If anything, it was my sprained ankles that I used to uh, have issues with. So my ankles, if anything like that. Otherwise, I was pretty good. Even when I got to the AFL, like I had a couple here and there. I played over 100 senior games in a row and then the injury started. And they didn't stop after that. So not too many, in all honesty, when I was young, considering the amount of sport that I played, I was pretty lucky. Awesome, mate. Well, yeah, thanks so much. And thanks for the members for sending in those questions. Yeah, that, that great questions, guys. I'm sure you got plenty out of that and, and hopefully you wrote down some, some good notes. 
Um, for anyone that's tuning in late as well, well, we'll post this on our YouTube channel and the recording for the podcast come very soon. Um, we'll start to wrap it up, mate. You're now working in health industry. I've seen a lot of the posts that you're doing, inspiring, live better lifestyles that probably know more important people like yourself, you know, help people feel good about themselves at this current uh, day with all the challenges that are going on. Um, was that something that came naturally to you post-career? Talk us about how you got into the industry. Well, it was more just because of the Herbalife nutrition. When 11 years ago, I was really unwell. Sometimes sleep 11 hours a night or get home from work and still sleep on the couch and had all these other health issues. So I went to doctors, allergy specialists anyway. I was eating organic food and nothing helped until a friend of mine introduced me to Herbalife and I was a skeptic. And uh, But I knew he looked good. And so I thought, mate, I'll try the products. And the products within six days changed my life. And so I fell in love with Herbalife nutrition. I don't say I just have that. I have whole foods as well. I still enjoy my pizzas. I had a pizza tonight, actually. Pasta. Um, you know, I still, I still eat my breads. Like, I just enjoy my foods, but throughout the day, I smash my Herbalife nutrition. So that's how I sort of got into it. And from there, we started Cuda Fit Clubs, where we really focused on 20% exercise, 80% nutrition, and 100% mindset. So that was our, our philosophy ever since then. So I fell in love with what I do because I work from home. It's a lifestyle business, and it still gives me opportunities to do other things that I love. And so I've been very, very lucky because, you know, honestly, Jack, I was, lo- I was a lost soul when I finished football, in particular when no doors were open for me in the AFL when I, quite, you know, inquired. And they said, we haven't got a budget. And about three, min- three months later, they, they, you know, they signed up two players. So there's always that. And, uh, you know, I went back to Carlton and all the doors were closed. I was just like, God damn, what's happened here? You know, all these years that I played there. Walked in when I was 14 and Carlton left when I was 34. So I'm lucky I <laughs> something that I love with a passion again you know I've got to set goals I've got to improve every single day and I I try to inspire people I've helped hundreds of people with the programs plus you know the mindset part as well and uh, I look forward to doing it for the rest of my life and I'll continue to help people as much as I can fantastic such a great message and um, to have people like yourself doing that for others is you know so much easier I guess for, for to get through normal life but particularly i think now it's really important that preaching those messages like you said with lifestyle um looking after your body but also your mental health as well so um yeah, good to have good to have you uh in the industry speaking those words guys because you're getting a massive reach as well um so you're doing great things um what, what, what are you excited about for 2021 what's on the oh, i don't know like i'll spend a lot of time with my family you know my oldest boy's 18 i love watching him train and uh you know, I'll spend time with the family. I don't think anything will really change. We're in, you know, locked down so often now. And so I try to spend as much time as I can with my family and, uh, yeah, continue to just improve every single day. I treat lockdowns like as if I was going to work. I still get up early. I still, you know, I do my meditations. I stretch. I do all those sort of things to just get that body and mind right, you know, in the morning. And then I, I get to work after that. And so that way I'll get to spend a little bit of time with the family also. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on, mate. In the last sort of hour on the on the podcast, really appreciate. Um, fingers crossed, us Melbourneians, we, we get out soon and go to Cuda Fit and do some training. So for those that want to join your, your club and and buy Herb Life Nutrition, best way to get in contact with you. I just reach out on Instagram or my public Facebook page, and I'll I'll reply back to people no problem. But yeah, awesome, fantastic. Thanks again, Cuda. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, everyone, for listening to. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Speak See you, buddy. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, like game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or 
through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um. And yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.